Alex. And I'm Val. And we're going to talk about Sopranos. We are. We're going to talk about Eloise. Which is season four, episode 12. 12. Mm-hmm. Getting near the end of the season. Well, it's well, getting episode very near before the end of the season. The of the season. Yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting penultimate episode. It's different than what we've had in the past. The yeah. show has established, in some cases, the penultimate episode being the case where we actually have some of the most drama happening. Right. But in this episode, it's actually kind of anticlimactic in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. We don't... Um, they fooled us again. Yeah. In but. fact, in many ways, it seems like almost everything is resolved. At the end, I mean, Furio is left. Yeah. The only thing for me that kind of seems hanging on is that meeting that Tony has with Johnny Sack near the very end of the episode in the car where it's like, oh man, something could really be happening of this. And in the next episode, there could be some drama of Tony interpreting Johnny Sack's words to actually go after Carmine. So that is kind of setting up something major. So we'll have to see what they do with that and how climactic it is. Yeah, and maybe like some drama between Meadow and Carmela. But in some ways, it kind of seems resolved to me because Meadow actually asserts herself as a mature person and realizes that there's something going on beneath the surface yeah and actually realizes that there's something happening here that is bigger than she realized and she actually needs to be compassionate to her mother right to look out for her right. i think in all ways in this episode meadow is established as a very strong independent beautiful woman yeah, which well, is exactly what the last thing well no, i say that because <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I was saying, sorry, I, what I meant to say was smart, beautiful, independent woman, which is because that is where the show is actually left right. off. That and wasn't that just is, your own feeling. That wasn't just my Meta. own feeling <laughs> yeah. that I just wanted you to know about yeah. and everybody else. Cool. Because Tony says, you know, isn't that what you dreamed about? I and think he, that's an interesting line. It's a very interesting line. And then Carmela says, looking at the camera, yes. Yeah. And the way that he says that is... It's unclear the way that he claims smart, beautiful, independent woman because the way that it's stated could be applying to Carmela too. And she obviously is interpreting it that way. Interestingly, it's coming from a conversation where he's claiming about how she's growing to be so mature, so thoughtful. It's very clear that it's about her. He says she can do whatever she wants. And they talk about her in a way where she's kind of developing into exactly what they dreamed about for their daughter. And I think largely that is a centerpiece of this episode because Meadow is becoming this very independent person. Even the first time we see her, we see her in an apartment where Carmela meets the other mom who says, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't been here for so long because she's a teacher in Akron. And yet it's the first time that we're seeing it. So we have a level of detachment from her life now too. Yeah. It, it establishes in sense of a time frame that it's been a while and the mother actually feels guilty about not being there. And for us as viewers who have been so invested in Meadow, we haven't seen her. We hadn't known about Finn, who's just well, brought up very nonchalantly. Well, the, the line that brings him up is when Carmela comes in that time and she says to Meadow, like, what's the matter? Is it Finn? Yeah. And we're like, Finn. <laughs> yeah. Unless, you know, you know who Finn is already. Well, we have seen this show a lot, so yeah. we did know who Finn was. But yeah, no, we're totally separated from Meadow, which I think it ha carries greater symbolism for the show as well, right? Meadow's removed herself, you know, not entirely, and, th and those topics are brought up, right? Like if she needs money, she's still going home, right? Yeah. Um, even if she were to transfer to Northwestern, right, her parents would still be 
footing the bill of that, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. But she has, in a lot of ways, separated herself from Soprano World, right? Ever yeah. since Jackie died, we really haven't seen her since then. Yeah. It's been like, you know, very limited time that we've been given with Meadow since then, since she ran away from that party in the end of season three. Yeah, and I think that's a very imperative scene, where at the end of season three, we see her running away from the family across traffic, which is a scene that's replicated in the series finale. And I think that this season is really building on the theme of Meadow getting out of Tony's orbit and getting out of the Soprano orbit. And everything she's doing is actually leading her to become a very kind of desirable character like she's, she's I mean again <laughs> I just thought I'd set, set that one up there a little bit yeah. but she is she's becoming this dream of what somebody could <laughs> I wish you could see Val's face <laughs> she she has <laughs> why don't we talk about how great I think Meadow is yeah I know let's <laughs> let's do that um that is not really my intention here. But I think that the character of Meadow Soprano, I'm speaking strictly on a character basis. It's very strange to I'm do actually, a podcast with your husband. I'm actually, you mean, you know me, I'm, I'm more interested in like character development <laughs> than any of these things. Yes. This is actually like my soft spot. I'm yes. like, ooh, wow, like mm, Terrence Winter really did a great job on bringing up the themes. <laughs> yes, I do know that about you. But we see her having a degree of independence, being able to speak and reference these academic readings. She understands things on a deeper level than her family does, even in some ways. Like when they're talking about Billy Budd, Carmela says that she's seen the movie and she says that it's about an innocent sailor picked on by an evil boss. And it's such a simplistic it's, reading. It's kind of like AJ's paper about it, right? What right. Did, well, also AJ that AJ say? is reading it to Carmela to get help. And he's right. saying like... It's about mean, like how mean people <laughs> how mean can be. How mean people can be. Like the writing is so bad. Yeah. And of course he gets a C. And, you know, and I think that that is also something that Meadow very cruelly brings up when she's saying, oh, I could be like you. I could go to Montclair and drop out. Yeah. And she's really, like, hitting her in the in the Achilles heel right there. In the jugular? In the <laughs> yeah. Achilles I jugular? I you could hit someone in the Achilles heel. <laughs> you could hit Achilles in his heel and it would probably hurt him. I guess so. He'd probably be fine. It's okay. We digress. <laughs> but... What were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about AJ's paper, Carmela's right. take on Billy Budd. Right, but there is this this theme that's established of Carmela now possessing a much higher degree of education than her family. And it really... Meadow, s- Meadow possessing a higher degree of education than her family. Sorry, yes. I would have thought you would have known that, how much you love Meadow. <laughs> Good point, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, thank you. That's why we keep each other on track. So Meadow is really established as somebody who's kind of operating in a different sphere now, yeah. in a different orbit than, than that of the Sopranos. Yeah, and even like the shot there, the way they set up that shot is really interesting. Like head on, it it almost makes it look like Carmel and Tony are on one side, kind of like the head of the table. They're not really like they're, they're surrounded on. Like they're on a side, on, the on a side but it's head on to them. Yeah. But they're surrounded by all these others and. We can feel the mismatch of of cultural ideas, of education level, of reading things beneath the surface in mm-hmm. the case of the Billy Budd story. And they really are surrounded by, yeah, this Infanta de Gracia, this talk about skiing, this very kind of like, right. yeah, like expensive hobby that who, they would not have Who knew have that Meadow had in. ski equipment, though? Well, I guess she can just go and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it is interesting. I'm, well, I want to talk more about Meadow. Yeah. 
because I also think she's great. <laughs> Do you think she's beautiful? <laughs> Smart. Uh, <laughs> Independent. Um, I, I mean, I guess. But I, I also want to come back to the Billy Budd story, so maybe I want to put a pin in that mm-hmm. for a second. Um, the scene that I love the most, I think, like, one of... One of the scenes that endears me the most to Meadow, because, like, frankly, I think she can be a bit of an asshole. Right. And pretentious, right? Yeah. So, like, I I do struggle, like, with my reading of Meadow. Mm. Um, and I, I'm someone who comes from academia, right? So, like, right. it's not even like I'm judging that. But I find her to be pretty pretentious, right? right. Like, she says things to Carmela, like... And there's people who didn't grow up with running water, but you wouldn't know anything about that. Right. Right. And it's like, Meadow, you don't know anything about right. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so sometimes I just kind of want to shake her a little bit. But I think the scene. I mean, I guess she knows more because she has been volunteering at the Bronx okay. Law Center. Okay. I know. No, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah, she yeah. doesn't <laughs> have the right to, like, get on that high horse yeah. because she's been doing it for whatever, A six second. months. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Anyways, but the scene that I think is probably for me like one of maybe one of the only scenes where I really feel like Meadow actually is a well-adjusted and intuitive mm-hmm. person is when she's sitting on the, the steps with Tony yeah. and just the way she's able to read that and be really like she's actually she can she can sense Tony's discomfort mm-hmm. and nervousness and he but he's also he's disclosing stuff to her like yeah. like she didn't know he was in therapy i guess yeah you know and he's actually being really well, honest he thinks he's being honest with her he doesn't yeah. know the other levels of it either and she can right. really sense she can really sense that and that's right. again maybe one of the first times they've had like an honest discussion yeah. right and they have these little discussions through the show we've talked about them as yeah. as they've come up but Meadow in that scene for me is just like really mature and really intuitive and really compassionate Mm -hmm. towards both of her parents, right? Who both are in their own ways, you know, annoying and frustrating to be around. And it was frustrating for her to have them at her dinner party, like Tony's, you know, saying no offense to Colin when they talk about gay people and he's like I'm not gay you know <laughs> and Carmela's saying all sorts of other things right yeah. like that's difficult to deal with when your parents are weird and doing weird things and so the fact that she was then able to go there and have that level of like a very understanding and compassionate yeah. conversation and not disclosing information that can hurt people because she in this episode like at the tea at at yeah. the plaza, she was like hitting the Achilles heel, as you put it. Um, she was that's like, how he, that's how he Achilles died, right? So they just like hit him in the heel. They just like got a stick and just like yeah. tapped him. Yeah. Um, no, but she was like really pulling all the punches on Carmela. Like she wasn't yeah. holding back things that could hurt Carmela. Right. Right. Like when she said the thing about Montclair no. University, or I forget. There was another example. But with Tony, she did. Right? Like, she held back information that, like, she could have been, like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what she would have said. But um, anyway, so that's, like, actually, like, for me, one of the first times that I actually really like Meadow a lot. I think there's other examples in this episode, too. Because even after her parents come and they do act really weird and it's kind of an unmitigated disaster, right? Where, where like, Carmela goes completely off the rails and is saying these crazy things. And then afterwards, Meadow calls her. 
she's saying, you know, like, are you mad at me or whatever? But mm-hmm. she's she's saying like, why don't we go to Park Play or Park Plaza for the Eloise thing that we do? And that's actually very thoughtful. Well, that's her. what Carmela says. I don't know. Again, it's kind of like it's kind of like the last time where I think she's doing it for Carmela though. Yeah. She's grown up. We've had in the show already in a previous season her falling out of that tradition. Her mm-hmm. coming back to it, I think, is her uh, passing, an, passing an olive branch to... <laughs> I'm just, like, mixing up all my... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say throwing a bone to Carmela. Throwing a bone to her Achilles jugular. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see that. I also, like, it also does bring me back to, like, when she bought Carmela, like, the spa gift certificate for Carmela's birthday, but it was paid it's better. for. She's getting better than that. I don't know. Like, there is something about it still. It's like, I'll invite you to pay for tea at the Park Plaza. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I just have it's a improving. Thing about it was yeah. It's her birthday, though, right? It's Meadow's birthday. It's Meadow's That's birthday. That's correct. You're you right. You know? You're it's right. not... I think, actually, she's doing it out of compassion. You're right. And it's interesting, like, that scene, that is very compassionate. She is... Like, you're talking about her intuitive nature. Tony's talking about how Carmela's upset. Med- Meadow asks, how come? Tony throws out these kind of platitudes, kids growing up. Then he comes out with the word unfulfilled. Yeah. And that's when things really changed. Yeah. Meadow really latches onto that. I think she realizes what's abs- actually happening. She says to him, you really think that's it? Then Tony says, yeah, I think so. Then she kind of pieces it together from her conversation with AJ. She knows what's happening. And then she makes her decision to say it's probably the beginning of menopause. Yeah. She plays into Tony. But there's two things that are interesting for me in that scene. One is that Meadow does read that deeper surface and has the ability to do that, which Tony doesn't. And Carmela didn't even, you know, like in her interpretation of Billy Budd in this episode, there's a kind of simple... Simplistic, simplistic yeah. reading of these things. And there's constantly in this show this black and white outlook on a lot of issues yeah. that are very simplistic. And I think actually they play with that in this episode in terms of Carmela playing with some color things that we'll talk about later. Yeah. But I think that Tony and Carmela symbolize this simplistic black and white way of dealing with issues that doesn't have the ability to go, go beneath the surface. And Meadow has escaped to be outside of mm-hmm. that. And she is able to comprehend things beneath that simple level. And I think that she realizes what's happening, and then she makes it simple and in a thoughtful way for Tony. Yeah. And she knows that there's a problem with her mother, and she will deal with it. It's also interesting that this happens on the stairs, where there's so many examples Mm -hmm. of people acting callously and not compassionately towards others on staircases in Uh this show. And I think it's interesting that Meadow is the one who has this moment of compassion on the stairs, and I think it's very intentional. And I believe that it's this kind of newness in the new generation of her transcending the lack of empathy, the lack of compassion, and having a new characteristic that we actually can respect. Yeah, but does AJ, like if you're talking about a new generation, like does No, AJ's fucked. AJ's, AJ sucks. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of focus on Tony and the stairs. Like we see him come up and down those stairs a number of times in this episode. So I think you're right. Like I think it is really pointing out that I mean obviously like you know kind of like we saw last time like you know just because this show one time told us that bad things happen on the stairs doesn't mean they always have to follow their own protocol right but I think that it is meaningful that Meadow has an opportunity to display cruelty Mm. right like and because she has like I said like in this episode she did display some cruelty and some beautiful maturity or whatever too but smart beautiful yeah. independence 
<laughs> but but she actually like you could see her kind of making that choice there, right? Yeah. Like and reading Tony and seeing Tony's face. So I think like for me that's the, kind of the key is like making a choice. Right. Totally. And I think that that's something new that we don't see a lot yeah. coming from The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think from that season three finale, she has followed this trajectory. And as we finish season four, she's very far away. She's the furthest she's ever been from The Sopranos and their values. And maybe she'll go to Northwestern. Maybe she'll go to Northwestern with Finn and she'll be even further away. Finn's going to become a dentist and they'll all live gonna, happily ever it's after. It's going to be so nice. Yeah. Um... I also liked how just like I don't have too much more on the meadow stuff, mm-hmm. but I I thought it was interesting and maybe this also kind of like ties into the Billy Bud and the gay stuff I don't know, but Meadow asks Carmela what do you have against love, mm. right? Well she's like because she's being mean they're at the park plaza she's like I was merely pointing out to you what <laughs> literary critics had to say about it, right? Like, such being such it's a too jerk. bad she didn't actually end up with Noah Tannenbaum. That would have been the perfect no, match I for you. No, I swear. Like, that's that's why I hate Noah Tannenbaum, <laughs> and that's why I hate a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but, anyway, but she goes from that to saying, what do you have against love? Right. And I think that Carmela's relationship with love is really, really complicated. Like... You know, at the end of the episode, she's watching How to Marry a Millionaire, right? Um, she has these really intense feelings for Furio, right? That yeah. we see kind of like more clearly than ever in this yeah. episode. And maybe we'll talk a little bit yeah. about that too. But she, you know, she says that to Rosalie a few episodes back, right? That she loves him. Yeah. And, and now she's, you know, devastated by his departure where like there's never... All they ever did was make a date to go to Color Tile place. (laughs) Yeah, Color Tile. Color Tile? Is that what it's called? That is. Um, And she reads a lot of these romance books, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she reads this kind of, like, I don't want to call it, like, chiclet, but, like, old lady chiclet. Yeah. And I I don't know what her relationship to love is because I I don't know what she would classify her relationship with Tony as. I think, like, she probably, like, you know, obviously she has strong feelings for him because mm-hmm. she's married to him and puts up with his nonsense. Yeah. Uh, she loves her kids. Yeah. But I I don't know. It seems like in this episode that Carmela does have something against love because of the kind of, like, I don't know, like, how mm. she treated Meadow there's when, definitely an aspect of jealousy here. Yeah, je- maybe it's just jealousy, but yeah, maybe it is kind of like a lack of understanding of that. And that's where like the gay thing kind of tied in for me, right? Like, because she was really mad about that. I was trying to figure that out, but like, you know, like, whatever. Leslie Thieler, like, maybe he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, maybe, well, she said he's a she. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... You know, like, your whatever, your sexual identity, right, is about, I guess, not love all the time. But it is about, like, who you are free to love and choose to love, right? And Carmela doesn't feel like she's free to no. choose who she loves, right? No, she's I, not. Yeah. She's, she's quite constrained in who yeah. she's allowed to love. And that is Tony and her kids. Yeah. Tony's not as not constrained yeah, right like we, we see, see we see that scene with 
Icelandic stewardess. I believe that's still her. Actually, I think it's somebody new. Somebody new. Yeah. Another blonde <laughs> woman. And Furio's looking on really angrily, right? Yeah. I really like that scene too. But yeah, so he has this freedom to love in whatever way you want to take it, whoever he wants. But she doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think she kind of does have something against love. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is just jealousy. Um, but I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. There's there's a few other things that I had in, in this episode, too, between Meadow and Carm that I thought were interesting. I do think that the key thing there is this aspect of independence that Meadow has and Carmela doesn't. Right. That she's striving right. for. And I think that largely that is what her jealousy revolves around. Right. And I think that's probably the hardest thing for her. She is constrained to loving such a limited amount of people. And Meadow now has the freedom. And Meadow even says to her mother, like, aren't you happy for me? Yeah. Which she's not. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think the writers the and the people behind the show, they are trying to paint a picture of Meadow that is, I know it's hard for you, but I do think she is supposed to come across very well right now, actually. There's really? a lot of like I, I don't I don't think the writers are that simplistic. I don't think any character is supposed to come across as really well or really I don't whatever. Know. Like Okay, that's interesting because I think that I think her all, decision they're all to ex- they're all assholes. In their own way. It's not they're not perfect. Yeah. And I'm not saying that she's a perfect character. Her, <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed like you were. <laughs> I just think she's perfect. <laughs> Jamie Lynn, if you're listening, I think you're perfect. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> no, that's actually not what I'm saying. <laughs> um but I, I do think that that decision that Meadow makes to extricate herself from the family is a rare example of where we can respect what a character is doing. And the way that they establish and set up her life in season four at this point, where we haven't been monitoring her, we haven't been tracking her, and we can see where she is, I do think that we're supposed to think that this is better. And that the life that she has is an improvement over the life that she has while she's in this New Jersey mob. Yeah, but it's like, it's paid for by her family. It's a nice-ass apartment. Like, yeah, I mean, that would be a great apartment to live in. Like, how do they have that apartment, right? right? I guess, like, her princess friend also has a lot of money, and her, right. I don't know what, Colin... Finn's, Finn's talking about his Morningside Heights place, and he'll... Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's... Yeah. Well, I wonder, that's... Sorry, so we live in Actually, New York that's, City, that's so I probably... wonder if he's, like, further uptown than them. That was my... That's opinion. interesting. Yeah. Probably. And actually, yeah. also, if you think about... I, I feel like he was trying to say that like it was maybe... It was not supposed to be that nice. But interestingly, if you think about when the show was coming out in the early 2000s... I mean, Morningside Heights was nice, but it's not what it is now either. Yeah. But, but yeah, it it's, a, it's complicated. It's know. still complicated, I guess. But it's it's hard to maybe tell from right now what they mean from that statement, yeah. from where they live. Anyways. Anyway, but I think there's just a lot of things. Meadow making the chicken cacciatore, Tony's commending her. I think, you know, the other students saying that they she keeps them alive with her cooking. There is there's small things, but they are rare examples of somebody thinking about other people and doing something right. kind. Right. We almost never get that. And I think, you know, Finn as well, for her to be drawn to somebody, we don't know a lot about him yet, but for him to be He's this like Navy a worldly brat, person. Carm, so you've been all over the world then. And that's new. I mean, for what Carmela is kind of striving for, we he has something that you'll never see in Soprano World. Right. Think about like Polly Walnuts and his trip to Italy. And, right. <laughs> and then think about somebody who's, you know, seen the world and, and these these people in the apartment who are analyzing Billy Budd with this queer theory. Like it's just so far outside of what we've come to know. Yeah. We've just landed somewhere very different. Yeah. And I 
I do think, and maybe I'm 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 reading now, but I do think that David Chase and and the others, there is an aspect of, yeah, like maybe it's pretentious, but I don't know. I I just I feel like it's meant to be created as something that is a positive step forward. Yeah, I don't. Know. Maybe that's too simplistic. Yeah. I think that that extrication from the family has been a good thing. I, I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't say like it's been a bad thing for Meadow. I wouldn't choose the opposite point, but I think it's as complicated as staying in the world. Yeah. I don't know. It is. Like, and it has its own positives and negatives. Yeah. And they've obviously dealt with the theme of pretension with having no tenant bomb as yeah, a character. They, they, I think David Chase <laughs> just really wants to deal with the concept of pretension. Maybe. I think actually you'd get a lot of great with him. <laughs> you could bitch about all sorts of things. I want to see. Really I want to see him on the street. He lives on the Upper East, right? I know. We yeah. Should just go hang out there. Yeah. See if we can find him. There's some other things too in that episode, and that were interesting between Carmel and Meadow, like that dynamic between getting to the city. I know. Which was interesting. Where well, that was in the same call where she offers the Eloise thing, which yeah. is why I didn't see it as the most. Loving, right. loving phone call. But. but interestingly, and it is pretentious, and it is like not that cool to bring it up this way, but why would she take the George Washington Bridge to get to Midtown? I don't know. Maybe she was coming from somewhere else in Jersey. That's true. You have a good point. And she knows how to drive. It's interesting. Maybe though. there's traffic in the tunnel. <laughs> Does Meadow know that? <laughs> Did, no. This is pre-Google Maps. Yeah. Carmel's just going on her her savvy of driving for years and Meadows just upending that. Meadows said she was going to be on the Upper West Side. That's true. Yeah. So, or actually she just said she was going to be, on the, gonna be on the West Side. She was going to be on the West Side. And that's why there anyway, we don't need to get too far into the I New know. York geography. I know. But it is interesting because then Carmela brings that back at the Park Plaza. Yeah. And she's still harping on it like it's an instance where she has the ability to turn things kind of sour. Yeah. I think she was, I think at first she was trying to just make a joke. Right. She was talking about where she parked or whatever. Right. Anyways. There's also some interesting things like at the park plaza, they're wearing all, they're both wearing all white. Yeah. Which I was thinking about in in a couple different ways. Obviously, we've discussed the importance of white and black in the show at different times. And the white gloves. And so seeing them all in white in the color scheme at the Park Plaza is basically all white and black. It's all very simple and everybody around them is either wearing one of those two shades um also though i was thinking about white being the color of the suffragettes and as of right now being having the state of the union just happening and all of the democrats wearing white and about that being the historical significance relating to the suffragette movement Mm. and feminism it actually it just got me thinking i was like oh that's really interesting i don't know if that was intentional Mm. but thinking about that moment to have both of them in very strong white yeah yeah white gloves all white clothing white tablecloths white just thinking yeah. about feminism what it means to be a smart beautiful independent woman <laughs> well it means different things in yeah. different generations right exactly and, um it looks really different i think it's i think it's also tied in with like again like that kind of whatever like gender expression or or sexual identity kind of thing too right which was really hard for Carmela to deal with in that Billy Budd conversation but you know it's like that's you know newer wave feminism deals with those issues right. whereas older feminism did not right right so it is kind of like an interesting counterpoint of those two yeah. characters yeah and speaking of the colors because how can oh. I resist <laughs> 
I wish I could I could put down my reading list of late. It's just all color books. Yeah. <laughs> but it plays in well. So interestingly, that's a scene that I was discussing right there where we see a lots of whites and blacks. From that point onwards, there's multiple examples of going to this black and white color scheme around Carmela and Tony when they're talking and Tony is showing his lack of empathy and he's saying, my key guy just went to Naples and obviously Carmela's mm-hmm. just sitting there and obviously we know that he's really not reading this well, going back to the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. saying you probably got your hair cut. Um, because of Pi because of, my. Yeah, where, the, where this is interesting is the Carmela's clothing in terms of reflecting where she's at throughout the episode. And so right now we're starting at commenting on things that are closer to the end, and we've actually kind of regressed to this black and white color scheme. If you look at things from the beginning, we see her at Furio's house wearing this very vibrant pink. They make a date to Color Tile, which is a place that we've actually seen where she was. She met with, um, I want to say Vic Musto, the not the appraiser, the uh, the contractor. Vic Musto. It is Vic Musto. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm getting confused with the appraiser and the names. Anyway, so that's actually a place that has been identified as a place where we talked about right, the that color start, that's yeah. broad and, and all the things that we're seeing there and something that she's seeking. So we see her in Furio's house wearing this vibrant pink. Then when Carmela's waiting for Furio after the casino, she's wearing this very vibrant lime green floral clothing. Well, and Furio was wearing a very vibrant silky shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he sure was. So then after that, when she realizes that Furio's left, she goes to his house and she's wearing her very green shirt. And you see actually the garage covered all covered in, in green, green tape yeah. in the background there. And those are interesting colors because they're so kind of like fluorescent. Mm-hmm. I feel like Carmela is looking for color and that's something that they've done in this show before of using color to show something that exists outside of the soprano world which typically is represented from blacks and whites mm. and that represents a way of seeing the world and a way of judging everything right and so i think that carmela is really striving for something different and her clothing actually represents that from after that point from after when furio leaves her clothing really changes so we have she's on the phone with meadow in the scene that we've already talked about she's wearing like this deep red mm-hmm. so now we're actually going to the like negative end of mm-hmm. the color wheel so it's and then we're going from there to blacks and whites, all whites at, at Park Plaza. And then we're going to black and white between Tony and Carm. It's really interesting. So there's this evolution of color in terms of what she's wearing that reflects her mood. Yeah. Well, we have really interesting scenes with Carmela in this episode, too. Um, like when she does go by Furio's house for that second time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So she goes by his house earlier where the, you're talking about those greens. And then she goes by his house again after that woman at the church who I guess is a yeah. real estate agent who Furio listed his house. It all happens very fast. It all but happens like, very fast. I guess he listed his house with her. We don't know her. But then she goes by his house again, right? And is peering through the window. We have that great yeah. scene of like the zoom out on yeah. the window, right? And she's just And if you want a great in. analysis of that, visit Soprano's Autopsy, as yeah, we often he, say. He, he does, does a great job. job of that one. And a great image sequence, actually, where he... He has the zoom out, and then he has the zoom out where instead of the frame as presented in the show, he actually changes it all to black, except for Carmela's face, and then just talks about that use of of black space and how she's constantly being more and more engulfed by it. It's it's really, really thoughtful, really well done. Yeah. Um, There was another one that I was going to pick up on, Mm -hmm. but I lost my train of thought. Maybe it'll come back to me. Colors? 
No, it was about Carmela. Oh, Carmela. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. Um, I was not paying attention to colors in this episode. That's very okay. Much. You don't, that's, I do <laughs> enough color talk for the two of us. Um, yeah, also between Carmela and Furio, too, like, Carmela is clearly dealing with a lot in actually that instance where she's wearing the lime green clothing. She gets um, a phone call and it's from Meadow after she's tried Furio. So right. she calls Furio right. and Meadow she's calls left right a message. Yeah. Or sorry, she hasn't left a message. She gets a call back. She thinks it's Furio. And actually that tension kind of infiltrates her call with Meadow, which kind of sets up what happens later on yeah. in the episode, yeah, yeah. which is really interesting. Like yeah. We can see very directly the impact that that has yeah. and how it manifests itself throughout the course yeah. of the episode. The interesting thing for me in this episode, kind of as a whole, well, kind of two things. One thing is the tie back to last episode where we have Tony's dreams. And so the fact that Tony ends the episode by saying, isn't this what you dreamed about? Yeah. I think is really funny because yeah. we had that whole discussion last week of like, what are dreams? And it's like, so, dreams are wishes, right? Mm. Melfi said, or wish fulfillment or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that kind of framing was really interesting in terms of dreams, right? Like, what are the things that are going on? We know what, well, we don't know, but we have more insight into what's going on in Tony's subconscious, but we get fewer insights into Carmela's yeah. unconscious or subconscious or whatever you want to call it. Um, like, what does Carmela dream about, yeah. right? Like, where is she at? Because she's not dealing with this very well, right? No. Like, this disappearance of this guy who, yeah, like, she had a crush on yeah, um, has really put her into a tailspin. Yeah. Like... Big time. Big time. So uh, it's, I mean, you kind of buy into it because you've been, it's kind of been this like weird slow build of it for this whole season, but it's pretty weird. Like it's the sign of something, uh, what, what do I get? How am I going to say this? Like it's not something that someone who's like happy and well adjusted would develop and then right. feel so heartbroken about right right like it's it's clearly like indicative of something larger going on with Carmela yeah so that thing then about dreams like I just thought that was that kind of yeah. like wrapped it into a nice bundle for me but then the other thing is this trip that Tony at the very beginning mm -hmm. of the episode plans to yeah. take her on I don't know how many over how many days this episode takes place it's kind of hard to track how many days it takes place, but it's interesting. I was thinking about if they had gone on, I think mm -hmm. it was a three day trip that mm -hmm. Tony had planned. And so I was thinking like, oh, maybe this is over the course of three days. There's a lot of that clocks. They would you actually been... can get a pretty good sense of time yeah. in this episode and reference to the morning. And I know. And actually I have something else about time in there too yeah. for later, but like what would have happened if they had been gone for yeah. this whole time? Right. And all these different things they that would have, happened or not happened yeah. as they had been gone and and tony and carmella like it was kind of mentioned they never leave right they're always there yeah. um and they've never gone on this trip or whatever yeah. right so it's actually never spoken of it's a great case yeah. of just such like efficient dialogue it's really interesting where they throw something out there and then they just leave us to figure it out yeah it's talked about so little but it kind of hangs over the whole episode in a way yeah in a way. Um, the other time thing, just as I have it on my, on my brain. And again, I, I was trying to track because of that framing of this episode with Tony bringing up this trip, but there is an interesting one where Carmela goes over to Meadows that first time by herself. Right. And we, after that have the scene 
at the casino. Or sorry, no, we have a scene at the casino earlier um, after the scene with Carmela. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, the first scene at the casino where Tony's dancing and whatever, right? Like, yeah. And Furio's fuming about it. Then we go to Carmela going to Meadow's apartment and saying, yeah. like, what's the matter? Is it Finn or whatever? Yeah. And she's with Meadow by herself. And then we're back at the casino. So we realized that that earlier scene at the casino happened, like, in the daytime, right? And you're in, right. A, and you're in the casino and it's, like, dark and right. kind of, like, seems like it should be nighttime. Right. Like, Interesting. You're dancing with ladies and drinking or whatever. Right. But it, but because then we have that scene in between and then we're back at the casino. Oh, wow. It, Anyways, that was yeah. just my, my huh. little time thing. Yeah. But... Yeah, because I was trying to track it. Mm. Anyways, yeah. Sorry. That was confusingly described, but hopefully you know what I'm talking <laughs> No, I didn't about. realize that. That's actually, that's good. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it is interesting how at the very beginning of this episode, it could be set up to be a very different kind of episode. Yeah. And also that kind of aspect of sort of running away from things or something. Tony having just been in Miami. Miami. Going on another trip. There are some interesting connections in this episode to the last one. What you were just saying about dreams, staircases for me. Mm-hmm. Meadow having this compassion to see on a staircase, comparing to Tony's dream of his mother-like figure mm-hmm. on a staircase. There's there's a lot of things. The last scene from the last episode being of Tony in Miami, and then one of the first scenes of this episode being about going on this getaway trip. Even though it was for business for him in Miami. There is something when you see him in this foreign environment that yeah, kind of yeah, links yeah. them for me. Yeah. Um, the other stuff that I have is I have some stuff about Polly. Yep. It's or interesting. I, I have some things too, but they're rather minor. I feel like well, the you bulk were so of this, focused on Meta I mean, this I was, episode. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this whole show's about yeah. her. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, the stuff with Polly is really interesting in this episode. So I think we have we have actually, like, he's, if I was going to pick a second character to talk about, it would be Polly. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he Johnny Sack's been telling him all along that, like, Carmine, yeah. you know, he says things like, Carmine loves you yeah. and, like, stuff like that to him all, yeah. like, all through this, yeah. this season while he was in jail and he's stuff like that. He's very fond of you. And... And we see, and we see Polly, yeah, exactly. And we see Polly like going to Sill and, and, you know, complaining kind of about what, you know, why he isn't in the good books or whatever. And, you know, Sill talking about his earning and stuff like that. But he's still kind of like up on his high horse until, and he has, we have the stuff with Polly's mom and the other gals and stuff like that. Right. And that's like where he feels the most powerful, I think, is like when he's defending his mom. But then we have that scene at that wedding, right? Where right. where Carmine's there and Polly just realizes like he doesn't even know who he is. Right. He looks in a mirror, which we've seen used yeah. multiple times. And I like that scene where he looks in the mirror. Um, Sees who he is and then actually has a pretty radical character change. Yeah. And it's really interesting for him who kind of like seems like a pretty unchangeable character. Like, yeah. But... But we do like, but we do see some of. I, I'm I'm struggling to describe this, but like we do see some of his underlying transformation too. Like even he points out to Sill, he's like, "Well, this all this shit all started with that Russian fuck, right? Yeah. Like talking about right um, Pine Barrens. as if that was Sill's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was his pickup. Right. Yeah. Paul did a great, money. very professional job of that one. But you know, and again, like we know that. Polly's a little super superstitious and stuff like that. So 
I don't know. It's kind of, it's interesting. It's interesting for Polly. And then we see him kill an old lady. We sure do. Very, give me very quickly for suffocation, but. Yeah, that happens very fast. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty, like, dark for Polly. Yeah. I would say. And yet it's not treated that way. It in the isn't. Show. But like, it, it kind, again, kind of, kind of like. Scene. But again, kind of like Weirdly. when you delve deeper into like Carmela's reaction to Furio leaving. And when you look at it, you're like, that's kind of not normal. Um, same with this one, right? It is treated really lightly. Right. But you're like, uh, <laughs> you just broke into that old lady's house and killed her. Yeah. Like, that's worse than these mob guys who at least are, like, have some kind of right, reason yeah, that's pretty, for it's pretty killing out, dude. people. <laughs> like, um, you just wanted to rob an old lady because you found out she keeps her money under her bed. Right. You know? Um, so, yeah. So, it's it's I kind of like to do that with, I mean, with all media, right? Like, who's your narrator and who are you yeah. trusting to tell you totally. this story? Right. And what we kind of are sold right. as something that's normal. Yeah, or it's like, like a whatever. comical ha-ha story. Yeah. This one time I broke into an old lady's house and killed her. And yeah, stole and her then money. we just see him like giving Tony the money. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and then, of course, we have the stuff with with Johnny Sack and Carmine, right? So we, and we talked a little bit about the tension, I guess, building there. But we have that scene with johnny and tony where again mm. i can never understand where the how these guys are getting <laughs> hints that they're supposed to kill one another i never i'm always like oh are you kidding me with the johnny sack one that was so strong <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> no it was, okay the carmine one i'm just like damn that's some code and talk but it's funny how those two scenes reflect each other yeah. in this season because i think it was in the way where carmine calls tony and drops the hint that he wants johnny sack to be I killed know. but in this one I was which like, i didn't get well that's fair that one's very subtle in this one i was thinking wow that's pretty like underhanded really? sorry in this one i was thinking it was pretty blatant in comparison to how I, underhanded carmine was I don't it know would how be a shame are... if something happened to him he's in like it's, it's it seemed like a lot i don't know how they i don't know how they're supposed to communicate what if they just wanted to say it would be a shame <laughs> if something happened to carmine like that like it's just, just like so... call call your friend to the to your car well <laughs> i know it is suspicious and both of both Tony and Johnny do a lot of weird smoking in this episode. Well, that's a really interesting scene. So when they're meeting at the restaurant, there's a very careful focus on John grabbing a cigarette right after he's yeah. turned down on his 40% deal, which we know that he doesn't believe in. And the cigarette being a symbol of being out of control that's been dis displayed a lot in this show. It's interesting how we see John becoming more out of control and not There's being these, in control of the situation. There's in the background that right. fade into the church scene Yeah, when he's doing that. But then we have Tony when Johnny gets into the car with him, yeah. like weirdly blowing out this cigar smoke right. as Johnny gets in. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was interesting too how Polly, when he's at the wedding that Carmine is at, Carmine makes it clear that he's there because it's his housekeeper's daughter right which is like a further establishment of the distance between those two even though it was a distant relation to polly it was a third cousin or something yeah there still was like a blood relation to carmine it was through his housekeeper right like it's like beneath him or something and he right. doesn't know who polly is i thought that was an interesting yeah, choice yeah, of yeah. relationships yeah no you're right um so we'll see what happens with all that we'll see what happens yeah i mean little carmine wasn't very much help 
He, yeah, he and starts... he kind of turned. I love that scene too, because like at first he's all being like right. Mr. Little Business Guy and, right. and talking to his dad. And then once his dad says like something about Tony being like his son or whatever, yeah. then he starts to kind of like backpedal. He's like, oh, he's he calls he's him. He's a poser. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and then it's interesting, right? Because there's like an example of manipulation there because Carmine says, I felt like he could have been a son. And then Johnny, sorry, not Johnny, <laughs> little Carmine uh, he brings up the phrase, um, cut him some slack. He hasn't been head of a family long. Right. Knowing that it's going to set off his dad because Johnny is there upset about this change yeah. of events. He's kind of like looking at Carmine like, oh, shit, like, what are you doing? This isn't what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And Carmine, that's an example of manipulation. It's pretty basic, but yeah. he's saying he hasn't been head of a family for long. Knowing that his dad then says, they're I've told like you. They're a glorified crew. They're a glorified crew, which is they make clear in the dialogue. This is something that. I've told you. Yeah. And so little Carmine knew that and then is manipulating by throwing out that phrase and then sets off his dad. Right. Really interesting. Yeah. Like, really amazing writing in this episode. Yeah. Actually. There's some like little things like that. Who that is are it? Just so Terrence incredible. Winter? Pretty sure it's Terrence Winter. Yeah. yeah. Um, also like with the thing with Polly, when he looks in the mirror and then he kind of has a character shift, that's a good example for me that works. Like I believe that. I, I can kind of get yeah. behind that and see that he would have that change. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a hard thing to do. And I feel like all TV, the reason why I just hate all TV now is because they're so heavy on these big moments and characters changing course off of something. And you're like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's just not believable for the character that you've established. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet in this show, they're so careful throughout the entire series to build events, to tie everything together, to have believable characters who would act in human ways, that when something happens like that, I'm like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And it can set things off in a new direction. Yep. But they've been careful enough with it that it works. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, the last thing I have is just kind of about the title and talking about Eloise. Is it about, is it about Meadow? It's... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Let's let's end on a meadow note. Um, I just want, I was going through my kids' books mm -hmm. that I have, and because I used to be a preschool teacher, and I have a copy of Eloise, mm -hmm. and so I was really excited when we first moved to New York to go to the Park Plaza to see. Right. There's an Eloise store. Yeah. There and like that is like you know like she the book is about her this child who lives by herself um <laughs> at the park plaza and she like cause, she has a turtle she causes all sorts of mischief how independent why does she live there by herself i think it's kind of unclear i i can't remember her parents die <laughs> no i think her parents like travel around and are rich and so she just stays how old is she i think she's like six that's very irresponsible <laughs> <laughs> they just left her with a turtle yeah, I think it's a turtle. Jesus Christ. These Pretty values sure. are all fucked up. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like, it's interesting that Carmela and Meadow do have this tradition around Eloise. Mm -hmm. Because it is kind of like, uh, I don't know. It Again, going back to that independence thing. Or actually, the thing that made me think about it the most was when Meadow says, um, I'm not a child. Mm -hmm. And Carmel is like, well, actually, you are. Right. It's kind of like that. And that's what I was kind of like trying to say with Meadow and her fancy New York apartment and stuff like that, too, is like 
she she's not independent, right? Like right. financially, she is still dependent, yeah. just like this Eloise's parents are paying for <laughs> paying her for, her, for her room at the Park Plaza. She like is friends with like a butler and stuff. <laughs> I don't know, but like that is you know that is childish, um, and you can have like you have this fancy life with princesses and Colin. And who I don't know what his story. He's from Ohio. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, you have this like you do. You have this fancy life, and you kind of like think of yourself. And Eloise is kind of a brat too. Like right. she's kind of like hoity-toity okay. about how she goes about things. And but really, like you're not. You're just a kid. Hmm. Um. So. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Anything else from the Eloise books? I, I wish I would have. I, you know, I, no, if I had known when I was doing this two days ago that yeah. we were going to watch this episode today, right. I would have. You would have done some Eloise like, analysis. I would have kept it out at least so we could right. look at it, but right. I packed it away. Yeah, you would have read all the Leslie Thieler analysis of Eloise. I, I would have. <laughs> uh, I think it's an amazing episode. Yeah, me too. I think it's really great. And I'm excited for the finale. Me too. Also excited for the finale. Um, yeah, I loved AJ's essay. It was great. I would give it a C. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Furio's shirt. I would give it an A-plus European shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and goodbye, Furio. See ya. Maybe he'll be back. Oh, yeah. It's a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Furio's probably going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> right. With his shirt. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Well, we'll be back soon. And... If you caught two episodes on our last release date, we apologize. We put two episodes out on the same day. And we can't do that. We can't do that. We won't we, do that again. We try and put two episodes up a week, and that's hard enough. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah, we can't do four episodes a week. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Yeah. It was Alex's fault. That was my fault. I take full responsibility. <laughs> and... Anyways, we'll see you next time for the season finale. Yeah. And then, I think, for a season four recap. Exactly. Okay. See you soon. Bye.